Welcome back to the Cycling Tips Nerd Alert Podcast. I'm your host, James Huang, and joining me on today's show is tech editor Dave Roman Sydney. Hi, Dave. Hello. You have excellent, excellent hair today. I wish, wish everyone could see it. Yeah. So good. The joys of lockdown. Mm-hmm. If, if, if the name Brian Setzer rings any bells to everyone, to anyone out there who's listening to this, Dave looks like a dark-haired Brian Setzer, maybe without mm. the, the fancy jacket and stuff like that. But I, I can now feel my fringe move when I walk. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Uh, <laughs> also on the show today is pro mechanic Zach Edwards from the Boulder Gruppetto, where we're actually recording this week's episode. Hi, Zach. Hello. Your hair's not quite as big, but... Not, not quite that good. Not quite, not quite. But you do own a purple house. I do. You do own a purple house. That's okay. Uh, Kaylee is tied up with some boring admin and planning work, so he will not be with us today. But in his place is someone with vastly more technical knowledge. Bastian Donze, Zip Product Manager. Welcome to the podcast, and thanks for being our guest today. Hi, everyone, and thanks for having me. Uh, Bastian, I, I would have to ask, if you are going to stand in for Kaylee today, do you have a multitude of hammers at your disposal? And do you use them regularly to repair things? <laughs> I only have one hammer and one uh, one mallet. Sorry, Dave, you know, I know that's not a lot <laughs> by your standards. Um, and, and no, I'd rather use the proper tool for the job. So, no, wow. sorry. I, I will have to make this show work somehow. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's going to be a very, very different thing from Kaylee, but you're, I, I would imagine your French is much better than Kaylee's also. It turns out I, I'm pretty good at speaking <laughs> French, absolutely. Okay, okay, that's good. Well, I should provide some background before we get into things today and explain exactly why Bastion is on the show. So several weeks ago, uh, I think it was an episode at the end of June, we discussed during the new segment of the show, several of Zip's new road wheels, which then turned into a a rather energetic discussion, I should say, on the pros and cons of road tubeless wheels and tires, as well as the industry's gradual transition to hookless rim designs. And it seems in the course of that discussion, we may have introduced a little bit of confusion, maybe had some muddied information, maybe we were a little too uh, heated in our discussions. So Bastion has agreed to not only help set the record straight once and for all on all this stuff, but also answer a bunch of questions on the topic that we've collected from our Vela Club members. Bastion, are you ready? Um, as ready as can be, absolutely, and looking uh-huh. forward to the discussion. <laughs> Dave and Zach, are you two ready? Oh, so ready. All right, Indeed. well then, let's dive in. All right, we are going to start with the question of tubeless road wheel and rim standards. And standards is almost something that's sort of become like a dirty word in the bike industry these days. So uh, Velo Club member Roy Franz would like some details on the uh, on the current ETRTO ISO situation and what quote unquote standard rims and tires will mean for consumers. How do we get from where we are right now to standard nirvana? How much was the standard watered down or compromised to allow various current designs to meet it? And when buying rims in the next few years, how it, how is he going to know if he's getting something that will work with standard tires in the long term. Lots of questions there. I know this is a this is a super comprehensive question. So uh, thanks a so lot, let, Frank, uh, Roy, because that's uh, that's really the heart of the debate right there. So let, let's start with the first part of that. What what is the current situation with the tubeless road standard? Because there is one now. And and that's really the big thing that uh, that I want to put out there. There absolutely is a standard. Uh, there has been a standard for tubeless on the mountain bike for many, many years. And then for the longest time, you know, like uh, there weren't anything that were super precise for road tubeless. 
But uh, I believe it was in 2019 that ETRTO has revised, uh, revised uh, that and has included the standards for tubeless on the road that encompasses both uh, rims with hooks, but also a profiles for hookless rims. So as of two years ago, on the rim side, there's a very clear standard that's, uh, that dictates, you know, the set of dimensions uh, on the rim side, uh, notably, you know, the, the, the very important dimensions for tire retention, such as uh, the bead seat diameter, the depth of the gorge inside of the rim, the height of the wing on either side of the rim, all of this is absolutely defined since uh, 2019 for both hooked and hookless rims. And uh, and that that's really the uh, the point that was uh, that was critical, right? Because if you don't have a standard, then rim manufacturers are left to guess what the dimensions um, have to be, and that's why we ended up with different makers coming up with different dimensions and all having their own compatibility lists. Since we have the standards, when a rim makers adhere to the standards, it really makes the tire guys' lives a lot easier because they know that they can design to that standard. And if a rim is compliant with the standard, then their tire is going to com be compliant as well. So ETRTO um, was the first organization to publish the drawing in 2019. Now, ETRTO is a very European organization, right? Like it's in the name, European Technical Rim and Tire Organization. But uh, uh, there's definitely other committees uh, that are happening world, uh, worldwide. And um, uh, on the global scale, uh, there's the ISO committee. And there's definitely like working groups that really talk to each other uh, quite a lot. So ISO and the working group 16, which encompasses all of the bicycle uh, wheel and tire makers here in North America, uh, have known about that standard in ETRTO for quite some time. This is also why, you know, like a lot of the, the wheels at ZIP, we've, we've known that standard and we've designed the latest wheels so that we're 100% compliant. Uh, and ISO has finally published as of April this year, I believe, the same exact drawing as a ETRTO. So, so uh, at this point, then, there should be no question whatsoever what a rim profile, as far as the tire is concerned, anyway, what a rim profile should look like to be tubeless compliant, correct? You're absolutely correct. It's really well and clearly defined. There's, there's really no question about this. So the question, however, I guess from a consumer standpoint, and I guess one of the reasons why there is so much confusion around this is... All of this has been happening in the background. And I mean, I've known about all this stuff for quite a while now, but one issue with ETRTO and, the, and these standards, even though these things were published in 2019, we're not actually allowed to publish it unless we pay just an ungodly amount of money for a licensing fee. Um, because I think it's actually in the ETRTO documentation that unless we purchase the book or unless we purchase the digital book, that we can't publish anything. So, I mean, some of the stuff has, it just hasn't been talked about. Because um, I know maybe a few months ago, Bastian, you and I were, were on a video call talking about all this stuff. And I suppose maybe in theory, I maybe could have gotten around it by like taking a screenshot of our conversation and then posting that, like that seemed like maybe kind of not proper either. But either way, like I don't, because we don't have a drawing that we can publish, it just makes it very complicated as far as how we can convey this information to people. But either way, yes, there is a standard for both hooked and, and hookless uh, road tubeless rims. Correct. 
But it does also seem like we are in some sort of weird transition period right now too, right? Absolutely. And, and that's really where the, uh, all the confusion is going on. And it's unfortunate because uh, standards and every time there's a new standard, it really takes time for implementation. Uh, and, and the communication obviously is not straightforward as you, as you just pointed out. And, uh, and it's just a question of taking time until all the manufacturers, you know, uh, you know, as well as I do, there's a really large number of rim manufacturers and, and sellers uh, on this planet. There's uh, just about as many tire guys. Uh, by the time everybody update their lines so that we are all compliant to the same norm, there's definitely going to be a few years going by. And, uh, and I think we are right in the thick uh, of that transition phase right now. And I think like, uh, like one of your readers pointing out, um, there doesn't seem to be a very clear way of identifying, you know, if a rim and tire combination is compliant to the new norm. Uh, so that, that's, that just adds up to the confusion. So isn't that a critical problem, though? Because, you know, Zach, for example, I know if you have a customer coming in, this, this exact issue was something that you raised. They were to go out and buy a new zip wheel and they want to run their favorite Vittoria Corsa tubeless ready tire. Technically speaking, they cannot do that, but they don't necessarily know that because the markings aren't necessarily super obvious, right? Correct. Yeah. And I've like, whether it's a consumer or I've seen even other, other reputable shops here in town put, put a setup together that doesn't actually work together. And then the rider gets down the road a mile and their tire blows off the rim. Kaboom. Yeah. So like, it's just a lot of, a lot of muddy water at the moment. So I I think it is great that there is finally this industry wide standard that everyone is supposed to adhere to. But is there any sort of marking and is there any sort of system that has been put in place so that people can know what is compliant with this new standard and what is not? Is there any way for them to know? So I think at this point, and, and really this is something we should discuss uh, more in the next um, in the next meetings with RTO because I, I completely agree with you guys that the, the, there should be a better way to decide or, or to see if things are compliant. Uh, I guess I guess I should point out, you know, like when you look at clincher rims and tires, uh, you know, like the standard tires with tubes and and everything, there isn't any markings at this point, right? Like we've there has been a standard in the background, but things have been working long enough that people just know it's gonna work, and everybody on the manufacturing side uh, has been designing to that standard for so for for long enough that there just isn't any question. So just like just like you pointed out James I think if you give it enough time we will get back in the same situation where we just know that rims and tires work the same it's just going to take a little time but uh yeah there, there should be definitely something at this point it's not mandatory but on the rim side and on the tire side you may find a um dimension ETRTO as well as the rim dimensions for instance, in a, in the case of a hookless rim, uh, you you could see you know ETRTO, TSS stands for tubeless straight side or the uh, the technical designation of hookless rims, and then the actual dimensions of the rim. So in the case of a 700C wheel, you'll see 622, which is the BT diameter, like where the the tire seats uh, when uh, when inflating on the rim. And then uh, the internal width of the rim, 
which uh, you know for us for instance could be 23 or 25 so if you see something like this for instance on zip uh, on zip wheels uh, then you know that uh, the rims are compliant uh, but unfortunately, at this point, it's not mandatory. And I completely agree with you. There should be a better way for uh, um, bike shops, mechanics and, and customers to understand that things are compliant or not. And then, the, and then for tubeless hooked rims, technically speaking, those should be marked as TC, correct? Correct. Yeah. Uh, TC would be tubeless crochet or crochet in French. And, uh, and those, uh, this is a word that represents the, uh, the hooks uh, on the rims. So TSS for tubeless straight side, TC for tubeless crotchets, and that's the difference between hooked and non-hooked. Okay, so at the very least, if you see those markings on a, on a newer rim, more likely than not, that rim should be compliant with the current tubeless road standards. Absolutely. Okay. Quick question: Is the do you know if there's any sort of deadline given by the ETRTO on t in terms of uh, moving existing manufacturers that they have to move over to the new standard, or is it really just as they please? Unfortunately, it's really uh, it's really as they please, and uh, yeah. and, and yeah. something that's um, something that needs to be uh, to be addressed. Right is. Uh, something that's pretty clear in the norm um, is that the only set of dimensions uh, that are published in the norm are for the rim. So the norm defines what the rim should be and then puts the responsibility of tire retention onto the tire manufacturer. And I think this is something that needs to be to be very clear, right? Like, especially when it comes to the discussion about tire compatibility lists uh, and what tire is compatible and what tire is not. I think in terms of liability, uh, there's definitely something going on. Whereas as a rim manufacturer that is 100% compliant to, uh, to the new norm, ETRTO and ISO, uh, we cannot bear responsibility of whether if a certain tire uh, is going to work on this rim. It's going to be up to the tire manufacturer to decide uh, what rim profile they want to be compatible with. And it's going to be up to the tire manufacturer um, to explain to their customers the compatibility of their product with what rim. And, uh, and for instance, that's really something that's... Uh, uh, that was said, you know, in that podcast at the end of June, uh, that um, uh, compatibility lists were, were somewhat difficult to find on Zip. And I 100% agree with this. Uh, it is difficult to find for us because at the end of the day, it's ultimately the, the tire responsibility, the tire supplier's responsibility to, uh, to advertise that compatibility with a certain type of rim or, or another. Is there any sort of penalty right now so so the question that dave was asking it sounds like it, it it is up is a voluntary thing as far as when manufacturers conform to this but is there any sort of penalty if a company continues to produce a rim that does not conform to these standards and still advertises their wheels as being tubeless road compatible there is no penalty no not at this point I think uh, I think the penalty uh, is really going to be in terms of liability in case of an accident. If a consumer, uh, if a customer has an accident and it is proven that the rim is non-compliant and, and falsely made believe, you know, that they were, then I think the company uh, is really liable for maximum damages, right? 
uh, I think the the standard really like uh, sort of protects uh, both the manufacturer and the end users in that the the, the products are going to be safe and compatible together. But unfortunately, at this point, no, there isn't a, a penalty for people that are non-compliant. And uh, and to your point, Dave, I don't think there's a uh, like a deadline at which uh, the organism is going to say uh, no, things need to happen by then. That seems like a problem. I agree. So what do we do about it, though? Because I, I have to, I'm, I, I'm, I'm certainly, we're not trying to pick on Zip. We're not trying to pick on anyone yeah. who is making a tubeless road wheel or any, anything that's involved with tubeless road right now necessarily. Except, again, I think, it is, I think it's really great that we do finally have this established dimensional setup. And we have you know, that, that 622 millimeter bead seat diameter that you were just talking about. There is supposed to be, what is it, uh, plus 0.5 millimeter minus zero tolerance. Is that still the tolerance, I think? I believe so, yeah. But I guess the thing that I keep coming back to is that there has always been an ETRTO dimensional standard for clincher rims. Correct. But not necessarily for tubeless, but for clincher rims. And what we've had in the last, well, I guess, what, 10, 15 years now, I guess, is we've had a whole bunch of manufacturers who have decided to go outside of those standards to create a rim profile that they believe is better than what was currently established as the standard. So if there is no penalty, if there is no marking, if there's no official marking to know if a rim follows the official standard that has been established, how is the situation any better now than it was before from a consumer standpoint, as far as having the confidence that you're buying what you're supposed to be buying? I think all of those are really good points, right? Like, uh, and and couldn't agree more. And I think the, the the goal should be to make things very clear with the uh, with the end user. So, the thing the thing that we can do, right? Like, as a consumer, if you want to feel, uh, if you want to see what your rim is, I think the the first step is going to be to check the rim dimension on the side of the rim. If you see the word CTRTO and the dimension with the type of the rim, then you're going to have a very good idea of what your rim profile is is like. If it's compatible, uh, if it's compliant to ETRTO and ISO, or if it's not. Once you know what your rim is, uh, then you have to look towards the, the the tire supplier of your choice. And, uh, and see if they have any sort of communication on their compatibility or not. I think at this point, you know, there's still some, uh, a couple of brands that have some very clear communication about compatibility with tubeless in general or hookless rims. Um, so the tire supplier should be, uh, should be the one providing this. But uh, it's definitely like a, a very good point. And, uh, and I'll make sure to, uh, to bring this up at the next uh, meeting that we have. Um, Zip is an active member in both ISO. So we have the presence in the working group here in North America. And uh, I personally sit in the ETRTO committee uh, in Europe. So definitely something that we, we should improve. I agree. Yes, please yell at them for us. <laughs> it kind of feels like there's an opportunity for the industry to create a new road tubeless brand, which can be applied to the products that are you know that's uh, that meet the new standards you know for for rims that meet the new etrto and iso standards and then for tires that are designed to meet it it kind of feels like that is what consumers are missing right now yeah like what was it 15 15 20 years ago when mountain bike tubeless started like everything had a ust logo on it like Absolutely, this is compatible yeah. it all works flawlessly you don't have to worry about it blowing off the rim or not sealing or whatever and it all had that same logo on it. And that would be really quite nice if that was a thing now. Um, but like, if you look at how things worked in the past with the mountain bike, 
and even road tubeless when it first started, like it's every company is like, oh, well, we can tweak this and do it slightly different and we don't have to pay licensing fees or like whatever the reasoning is. Like stands came along and they're like, we're going to make a rim strip that you can make any wheel tubeless and you don't need UST. And then if you're like, oh, UST tires are heavy, so we're going to use normal tires. And then, and then there's like this And then we're just going to make ground. our rims bigger. Yeah. So it's like, even if you have a standard, I feel like the bike industry is always like, how can we... Yeah. Make it non-standard. Make it, make it our own, basically. How do we make it non-standard? Yeah. <laughs> and I guess I guess it's a both blessing and a and a, and a curse, right? Because obviously that's how you you progress the equipment and and uh, and you make improvements over time, and and at the same time creates a lot of confusion and unfortunately endangers um, uh, customers. It it is unfortunate, you know. And uh, I mean, I'm not always in favor of standards and keeping everything in uh, within the norm because that's uh, a barrier to innovation. But uh, in the case of, of rim and tires, I mean, I, I really feel like this is something I, I wish the whole industry would uh, would adhere to. Like uh, you mentioned UST and there were zero licensing fee to be part of EST at the time. The license was free, basically. So it's not you didn't even have to pay any money to be part of that. You just had to reach out to Mavic, make, an, uh, make a request and it would send you the contract, the logo and uh, and all the drawings. So having some sort of understanding in this case for the good of the customers and the bike shop and the mechanics and the clarity of everyone is definitely uh, the best that can happen. Right. And if I remember, I think you were at Mavic at the time when this was all going on, right? Guilty. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> absolutely. I was. I was uh, I've, I've been part of, uh, of Mavic for eight years uh, before joining SRAM. And uh, and I'm I'm really glad you know to be sitting in the ETR committee. We still have you know uh, my good friend Lionel Camarade, um, who's now uh, the chair of uh, the ETRTO committee and very active in the working group 16 for for ISO as well. And uh, and that's the thing you know there's a lot of people like uh, pointing at Mavic for being a little slow and unreactive, but they're relentless in their effort to bring the industry together and make things move. Perhaps not as quick as uh, as what the market would like, not as quick as what we at Zip would like sometimes too. Uh, but uh, um, things are moving in the right direction, and in this case, having a standards is definitely the first critical step. And now we have to keep working on to communicating the standard and bringing more people on board. Okay, so basically, I think it sounds like what we can all agree upon is that yes, there is a tubeless hooked and hookless rim and wheel standard ideally you should be looking for the either tss or tc marking on there that would suggest that that brand is compliant with that standard and you should also probably be gravitating toward a brand that ideally has some level of responsibility or accountability for the product that they're selling absolutely is that I is that basically where we're at absolutely okay and uh, and yeah, like the last thing, really, like uh, the last piece of the puzzle being the tire. Uh, once you figure it out that your rim is compliant, then turn to your tire, your tire manufacturer of choice, and uh, and ask them what rims they are compatible with, because that's their responsibility. Um, moving forward, while we are in this transition period, and not to kind of belabor this subject, but while we are in this transition period, if there is no marking on the tires, for example, to indicate if something is 
compatible with the newer, with the current hookless standard. How is someone to know if they have a tire that complies with the current standard as opposed to something that was produced earlier? Because it almost seems like before, it, in an ideal world, it almost seemed like everything that was non-compliant that could be potentially problematic should just be nuked and just completely started, and we should completely start over. But that is not what's happening because who knows how much older stock is out on the market right now. If someone, say, say Vittoria, let's just say Vittoria, let's say they have a tire now that is compatible with the new road tubeless standard, um, whereas the old one was not, but if they're not marked necessarily, hopefully they are, hopefully Vittoria has and other brands will have the wisdom to market appropriately, but if they're not marked, what do you do? I mean, you see that on like Envy's chart, like with like Specialized, for example, they're like, Envy says you can use the turbo tubeless tire from this generation and these sizes, but not this generation and these sizes. But like, how do you know? Like, exactly. The tire do doesn't you know? say like generation two, no, generation four. And it doesn't have like a date stamp that's really easy to recognize or anything like that. So yeah, it's... Yeah. And, and anyway. I, really think, uh, I really think a lot of that confusion is coming from, you know, the period just before the standard was published, right? Uh, and, and that's exactly what we were just discussing earlier. Uh, for the longest time, the market was looking uh, for tubeless solutions and there weren't any direction from the standard. So you had rim makers coming up with their own interpretation of what should be a good road tubeless rim. Uh, and then tire makers like trying to follow those trends. And at the same time, you know, like the, the trend also is to make like rims slightly bigger to make sure the tire would stay on and then tires slightly on the small size uh, so that to keep things a little uh, a little safe. And uh, and that's how Check you out Zach's forearms. <laughs> exactly. That's how you end up with like systems that are just either impossible to assemble or either impossible to open up once they've clipped in. So... I completely agree. There's going to be some time that that is needed to to clean up some of that uh, situation. Um, again, I think at this point there's just uh, nothing that on the tire that is mandatory to say that the tire is compliant with a certain type of rim. It's really up to the tire manufacturer to make this clear in their communication. The one thing I would suggest is to look at the maximum inflation pressure on the tire. Because, uh, for instance, in the case of Vittoria, like, uh, those guys have a really high uh, max pressure. So, obviously, this is not something we recommend on Hookless. Hookless has a max inflation tire of uh, 5 bar, 72.5 PSI. So, if you see 72.5 PSI on a tire, then that's a good telltale that it's going to be working on Hookless. So, so, while we're in this transitional phase of new product that's up to the standard and there's old product that's not to the standard, why, like from my point of view, it seems like to add an extra safety layer, why not just make mo like basically all of the rims hooked? Cause then you like, you're adding a safety layer and if a consumer or a bike shop or whatever puts a tire, that's not up to the standard on the chances are, it's probably not going to blow off. Even like, I guess like you guys are going to say, okay, well don't use that tire, but like that's it's going to happen. Oh, Zach, that was just the perfect lead into my next question because that is exactly <laughs> what I wanted to move into, which is why do we have hookless road wheels at all? <laughs> what is the draw with hookless? I mean, on the mountain bike and gravel side, impact resistance, totally get it. Like make that sidewall really thick, but. Thank you. 
Yeah. Um, that's actually uh, that's actually something, and you guys are gonna have to keep me on check because I love talking about this stuff, and I might get a little longer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we 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 didn't agree to have you on if we weren't expecting us to get pretty nerdy with all this stuff. So I I suggest okay. that you just get as nerdy as you want here. So you remember the old saying, right? Like uh, light, uh, cheap, and strong pick two. I do. Yep. <laughs> when we uh, when we look at hookless, it has all of all of those three at the same time and then more. And I think it's a very uh, I think it's a, it makes a ton of sense for the manufacturer. And I think it's been said, you know, that hookless is just a benefit for the manufacturer, and that is one hundred percent correct. But there's some very significant benefits to the end user as well. So before I answer, I answer your question and, and describe the benefits, right? Uh, I just want to remind everyone how uh, rims are made and specifically carbon rims, uh, because uh, because aluminum, I think it's a it's a slightly different process and and the benefits are not quite as applicable to that. But when you when you mold a carbon rim, then you have your outside mold that is typically made out of a, a hard material like steel, right? Uh, so something very rigid. So when you imply pressure as you cure your carbon rim inside of the mold, then the outside mold resists to the pressure and compress and compact the carbon fiber. Now, when you have a rim with hooks, right? You have to mold that inside cavity, that that tire bed cavity. On the uh, on the rim, obviously, as the rim hardens inside of the mold, you cannot use a hard tool to do the inside cavity. You have to use some sort of soft material that, once the rim is cured, you can squeeze out of the rim uh, and, uh, and and take out. I mean, you so could use a hard material. You're just never going to get it out. Yeah, exactly, and, and that's not <laughs> that's not going to work so well on the um, on on the weight of the rim. <laughs> so typically, to use to mold the inside cavity, we've been using silicone mandrels. So so you have your, the silicone mandrel, and you're relying on that mandrel to create all of the tire retention features on the inside of the rim. But because it's soft, then you don't have the same amount of compaction. So basically, you have to compensate for it. Uh, so you apply more or less pressure, you inject more or less resin into your mold, and uh, and you really try to make sure that everything within that tire bed cavity is going to fall within your, your tolerances and in, uh, in manufacturing. Now, if you look at a hookless rim on the opposite, right, you have those two straight sides, which means that you have the ability to use a hard tool out of steel to come inside of the rim and really mold, apply the right amount of pressure in the in the rim bed cavity, uh, so that you have really well defined tire retention feature, your BT diameter. If your rim manufacturer that does the you know the uh, the bead bumps, uh, then you can make this a lot easier uh, if you want them. And and technically, you can really hold much tighter tolerances in in all of your dimensions, so that you hit your nominal pretty much every time. So, so that's really like from a manufacturing standpoint, the big advantage of, uh, of uh, hard tooling is that the hard tool gives you a lot, a much higher control over your manufacturing. You don't have to use as much resin to make sure that your carbon is impregnated uh, the whole time. Um, you can, uh, you can um, make sure that the right compaction force is applied at, in all area of the rim on the wings on the the tire bed on the bt diameter uh, so basically your level of control is a lot higher uh, 
and what the, what that means um, in terms of user benefits is that for us the manufacturer the cost is going down significantly and I think you know this is something that uh, that uh, a lot of the zip customers have been able to see because firecrest wheels for instance have decreased six hundred dollars at retail uh, with the first generation of hookless wheels um, you know it's uh, it was a pretty drastic change and and that's how we were able to produce you know the the three or three s at the value price point so it's uh, it is a lot cheaper. It is a lot lighter as well because you don't have to use as much resin, so you can make the rim that's exactly right uh, with the right strength for the, the the weight. You have more strength on the hooks because obviously fibers going straight on the the side walls like this is going to hold a lot more strength than if you crook, uh, if you if you bend the fiber like this to create the hooks. Uh, but then there's definitely some uh, some other advantages. Uh, there's less crap, so there's uh, less waste. It's I'm not going to say you know the the carbon manufacturing process is green by any means, but uh, we're definitely creating a little less waste uh, by uh, by doing that. And it's not just in the amount of scrap that we make; it's also in the amount of sacrificial resin and carbon fiber that we put in the rim. So there's definitely a lot less waste. And uh, and finally, when it comes to tire retention, all of those dimensions are really manufactured to the exact uh, nominal of the, the drawing, and we can have like uh, a very precise uh, rim like this. Right. So on paper, at least, and certainly from a manufacturing standpoint, and certainly from a carbon fiber rim manufacturing standpoint, to be specific, there is absolutely no downside whatsoever to hookless, right? I don't, I don't believe there is, and that's really the beauty of it. You know, it's it's not like there's any uh, uh, drawback or compromise, like like you just said. There's a lot of benefits for the manufacturer, but then to the end user. I mean, you've seen the new generation of Zip wheels were uh, uh, nearly a pound lighter uh, than the before on the the four four five crest and four five four NSW. Uh, so it's a lot lighter. It's a lot stronger. Uh, better tire retention. Uh, it's a lot more affordable. The prices have gone down significantly. It's it's positive news all over the board. So, is it possible? And granted, I guess just to come back to, to back up just a little bit when you were talking about how aluminum rims are made very differently. I guess if anyone out there has not seen or is not familiar with how an aluminum rim is made, that cross section is basically extruded, sort of like macaroni. Or something like like just some sort of like pasta pick, pick a shape but they're all they're all made the same way but they're basically extruded like pasta and then it comes out in these long straight bars they're cut to length and then they are they are rolled into these hoops um so that's how that's how aluminum rims are made and that's why it's so much easier to in, to incorporate that hook into the shape but if there are still all these benefits to hookless in general do you foresee a time when we may see aluminum rims going to hookless as well? You know, I think uh, I think it's possible. Absolutely. Uh, the one thing I would say on the, on the aluminum side, right, and what uh, what rims are doing, and something we actually explored uh, on uh, on the SRAM mountain bike wheel side a few years back, is to try and do um, hookless on mountain bike rim as well. The problem, though, is that when you extrude that uh, that hookless profile, the top of the wing on each side becomes pretty thin. Ah, uh, right. Okay. And now we get into issues of cutting tires, right? Like you do want some uh, some width at the top of those rings, so when you hit something, then the tire has that nice cushion, that nice round profile to sit on and and avoid some pinch flats and uh, and so on and so forth. 
and that's the issues with aluminum rims like if you make uh, hookless rims then you're gonna have to extrude um, wings with a certain thickness and that's gonna add some weight now there's definitely ways around that you know you can play with the shape you can create like a little thickness at the top and and less at the bottom so that you have the nice rounded shape and and uh, you still have that profile like like a teardrop shape at the top of your wings but uh, I think that the benefits in terms of manufacturing weight and strength are a lot less obvious on uh, aluminum than they are on uh, on carbon. Okay, that kind of, that kind of answers my a question I had, which is: Do you foresee a day where the whole road market moves to hookless, and therefore every tire on the market is compatible? But I think you've you've also kind of suggested that that's probably not going to happen. Uh, you know, the one thing I want to say, and uh, and. I'm just going to speak on behalf of Zip in this case, right? Because uh, we know our products and we've been doing all of the testing. But when it I, comes... I would like you to speak on behalf of the entire bicycle industry, Fasten. <laughs> I'm going to commit everyone to this now. I'm going to get a bunch of phone calls after this. Uh, hooks don't do anything. Ooh, there I said it. Well, at least now, anyway. I mean, at least if you were looking at maybe like an old single wall steel rim or something, hooks most definitely did something then. So, and that's absolutely uh, that's that's absolutely the case. You know, when uh, back in the days where you had some pretty wide tolerances between the rim and the tire, uh, that you had to uh, that we didn't have bead technologies as advanced as they are today, uh, where the tire is well uh, well kept onto the rim. But uh, from some of the testing that we've done between 303 Firecrest's previous generation, so 21 millimeter internal profiles with hooks, and then 303 Firecrest new generation, so 25 inside without hooks, the blow-off pressure on a 28 millimeter tire is within 5% of each other. So now that now that we have modern uh, tubeless tires with strong and stiff beads, you know, and really the bead and the bead seat diameter is really what's going to allow that connection to be super strong. Then the safety provided by hooks is is really uh, becoming more and more irrelevant. It's not changing uh, much in terms of how the tire stays onto the rim. At least that's what we're seeing onto uh, onto zip rims and uh, and for us. Between that and all of the all of the work that we're seeing, you know, about lower pressure actually making you faster in terms of rolling efficiency, vibration damping, uh, for us, I mean, it's a no-brainer that hookless is the future. All right. Well, Bastion, this seems like a very good opportunity to add another uh, another question from Rebella Club member here. Uh, this one comes from Weiwen Eng, uh, and it's a, it's a very perfect question for for what we were just talking about here. Since we have both tubeless, uh, since we have both hooked and hookless tubeless road rim standards now, and we have to have tires that work presumably with one or the other or both, what exactly is it that makes a tire compatible with a hookless road rim? And is it the shape or is it the bead material, a certain bead strength, so on and so forth? Can you have a tire that is compatible with both? So that's a that's an excellent question, and, and really that's what I was uh, that's what I was referring to just earlier, right? Like uh, the the tire compatibility with a certain rim shape uh, really is the choice of the tire manufacturer, and that's that's their responsibility. 
So, so nearly like it's uh, it's as if like uh, when you buy a tire, you should have some sort of indication onto the the, the product of the box that says this tire is compatible with uh, with this type of rims. What makes a tire compatible with hookless? Um, it's not so much the the shape of the bead. Uh, the shape of the bead is really uh, something that is to the discretion of the tire manufacturers on, on how they want to make this in order to be more or less effective, uh, uh, tight or, or good at retaining air. But at the end of the day, it's all about uh, dimensional compatibility. So the ETRTO defines exactly what the bead seat diameter on the rim needs to be. So we have that uh, that dimension, and uh, it's exactly 621.95, uh, exactly. So that's the nominal of the norm, and there's some uh, some tolerance in there. So really, like it's up to the tire manufacturer to create bead that are going to be compatible with that 621.95 dimension. So now after after that, how they want to make the bead, the material they want to use, how much elasticity they they want to bring in the bead, right? Because really, that's that's one of the big hurdles of making a tubeless tire. You want to make the bead elastic enough that you can assemble the tire onto the rim, but you don't want to make them so stretchy that they're gonna stretch past uh, the wings of the rim and then blow off when you're riding. So all of this is actually at the choice of the tire manufacturer, and it's up to them to make their tire their beads so that the dimensions match the drawing of the rim in the standard. So what you're saying is we have to wait another another God knows how many years for the tires to have an established standard. You know, I, I really don't think so. I really don't think so. Now that we have a standard, you know, on the rim side, uh, it is really up to, it, it is really in the benefits of all tire manufacturers to make tires that uh, comply to there as well. Instead of having to make tires that fit brand X of rims and another set of tires that fits brand Y, uh, they're the tire guys all want the rim makers to follow the same standards so that they can produce one type that's going to go everywhere. So everybody's interest is aligned there. So pre-tubeless, the standard was 622. Everyone made their tires and their rims essentially 622. What More or less. Yeah, like there's yeah. obviously some tires fit higher than others and whatever. But like if that's essentially the same dimensional, same dimensional size as the tubeless stuff, what's to stop someone from using that previous non-tubeless 622 tire on a tubeless 622 rim? So I, I think uh, I think there's really there really is a lot of uh, warnings, right? Both on the rim side and on the tire side that uh, that say that it's not a good idea to use a non-tubeless tire on a, on a tubeless rim. Uh, and it, it all has to do with uh, with the bead. Clincher tires um, tend to have much looser uh, bead. Um, they don't need to have the same uh, tightness onto the rim for air retention. Uh, therefore, the, the the compatibility between the tire and the rim is not one hundred percent assured. And and you're completely right. I mean, they're really close to one another, right? Like uh, the clincher norm is very close to the tubeless norm in terms of what that BT diameter um, is. Uh, but it's all in the tolerance and how much elasticity things uh, change between tubeless and tube type. Uh, so I think like as a whole in the industry, we've, we've been given enough warnings that tube type tires on a tubeless rim without a tube uh, or with the tube actually like is really not a good idea because uh, there's nothing that tells you the tire is going to retain is going to stay on the rim but they're lighter 
Yeah. I mean, I, like, I, I, like I, I understand all of this, but I can just see a consumer being like, oh, this one's not tubeless, but the number is exactly the same. So why can't I use this? It's but they're more, lighter. Yeah. So as discussed, right, like the one feature that keeps the tire onto the rim, hooks or no hooks, is the, the bead and the, the compatibility with the dimensions of the rim. Right? If you have a bead that is designed exactly to fit the bead seat diameter and uh, within the very tight tolerances required by tubeless, uh, the air pressure when inflated uh, do the rest. And that's how your car works, that's how your motorcycle, your autobus, your commercial truck, your a airplane works. Uh, it's really like uh, a compatibility of tolerances between the rim and the tire and then air pressure. Even if the numbers are closed, they're not the same, and therefore a tube type tire is not compatible and is not going to provide that same fit, and therefore is going to be dangerous for the user. So I really cannot say this clearly enough. Do not put clincher tires on the tubeless <laughs> rim. The beats are not designed to do that. Uh, it's going to be dangerous. You're probably going to avoid the warranty, and if you try and claim some uh, some legacy after having an accident, then uh, you're not gonna you're gonna be denied everything because <laughs> I think there's enough communication that you should not be doing this. Okay, but are we going to potentially run into a situation where we have tires that are designated as being tubeless compatible with TC rims only and not TSS? Because I feel like that's what we have now. But they don't advertise. They just say tubeless ready tire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And absolutely, that's exactly the situation that we have now, right? Like uh, there are definitely tires that are deemed tubeless, uh, but then that you should not be using on a on a hookless rim. Uh, I think it's uh, it's just a question of making sure bringing everyone into the fold and making sure everyone is comfortable with the idea of that tight interface between the BSD and uh, the the BT diameter and the beads. Uh, there's also a question of some manufacturers, you know, having to update their production tools. Typically, you know, that maximum pressure that I was referring to earlier is different between a, a tubeless crochet and a tubeless straight side. Uh, so some tire manufacturers will want to make hookless tires that have, you know, the, the right max pressure as in order to be a little more clear. Even though the tires are perfectly fine right now and, uh, and work really well, then the only thing is the the max pressure is just too high for for hookless at the points, and we don't want to you know have something unclear for customers. So it's just a question of time, unfortunately, and and everything is going to become more clear and more clear with time. Okay, well, fair enough. Um, uh, I'm going to bring up another question here from another Velo Club member. Uh, oh, this person might actually be your neighbor, Dave. Uh, this one comes from uh, Danny Bilth Snowed uh, from Sydney. Uh, and this is related to uh, tubeless tire pressure and blow-off pressure and hookless uh, rims specifically. He says, there's often talk about the risk of tubeless tires blowing off, and this is often used as an argument for why tubeless is not ready. Is a tubeless tire actually more susceptible to, to blow off than a tubed tire, and are there documented uh, and are there documented cases of it happening in the wild? Would a stiffer bead in a tubeless tire make it less likely to happen than a tubed tire? And I guess I would also like to add, if we have a setup where a tubeless tire is supposedly more dimensionally restricted than a tube uh, than a tube type tire, why do we have a lower maximum 
pressure on a tubeless straight side slash hookless rim than we do with a TC hookless rim, or than we than we do with a TC tubeless rim. Right. So again, you know, this is another question where there's like a there's a lot to unpack, right? So. Uh, Let's but you're maybe, full of knowledge, so you should have answers <laughs> to all of this. I know, I know. It's just like trying to provide answers to everything in a in a concise manner. Uh, we we basically flipped open Bastion's head and we are scooping his brains out with a spoon right now. Absolutely. So one thing I wanna I wanna point out right in this uh, in this question from uh, from Danny is that absolutely like we just said uh, bead construction in a tube type tire is very different than the bead construction in tubeless tire. So tubeless tires seem uh, uh, tend to have like stiffer bead already, and that's uh, that's really the thing that's uh, that's required to keep the tire onto uh, onto the rim. All right. So then Bastion, if that is the case, if if tubeless tires are if they should be less prone to blowouts than tube type tires, why on hookless road tubeless wheels do we have a maximum pressure of just 72 PSI? 72 and a half PSI, excuse me. So this is this is one where um, I think this one is just a remnant of, uh, of, of some of the, the legacy, right? And, uh, and because hookless is still pretty recent, and because standards have to be an agreement between all of the rim manufacturers and all of the tire manufacturers present, uh, we tend to be a little conservative. And in this case, the 72 PSI is, is just uh, something that's staying, you know, from an era long ago uh, where um, we didn't have as tight tolerances and has good connection and really like something that people feel should be kept up until we have the absolute proof in their mind that hookless is, uh, is safe. For us uh, at Zip, I mean, there's really no question. It's 100% safe. And when you have that compat uh, that dimensional compatibility, tires are not going to blow off and they're going to be just as safe as anything else. For us, I mean, we've been testing, I think I've mentioned it, uh, the blow-off on a hookless rim uh, for the new 303 is very, very similar, very close to that of the blow-off on the same rim from a previous generation with hooks. So for us, you know, like the 72 is is uh, is just an extra precaution. It's like belt and, buckle and, uh, and suspenders, if you want. Uh, the one reason we didn't fight the 72 PSI like other manufacturers have been is because we feel it is actually in everybody's interest to run low pressure. So the 72 PSI is there and it's more a legacy thing than a safety thing in our opinion because you could go much higher if you wanted. But really, we do not recommend to go higher because we have data that says lower pressure is going to be faster for you. And, uh, and that's what we were just saying, you know, like uh, uh, there's still that um, stigma, uh, stigma that says you have to run higher pressure to be faster. We found that's quite the opposite. And, uh, and on, uh, on a 25 rim inside with a 28C tire, I mean, uh, we recommend people to run 60 PSI at most. Uh, so for us, the 72 is really not a barrier. So we, we've kept it to try and encourage people to run lower pressure because it's going to be better for them altogether, not just from a comfort and grip perspective, but also from a speed and what savings um, outputs. So if I'm reading that correctly, that means officially 72 PSI is the maximum recommended safe pressure. Unofficially, if you go a little bit higher, you're probably not going to die. 
again, you know, like I can only speak with uh, with the data that I know because uh, we've done some tests, and on our hand, on our on our side, uh, we're 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 pretty safe. But again, you know, if you increase your pressure, it's going to be detrimental to your performance. So it's not only going to be harder; it's going to feel uh, worse. You're not going to have, you know, all of the performance benefits you can have. So we really recommend you don't go above the 72. It's not a safety thing, it's a performance thing. If you want to be faster, lower your air pressure on wide rims. Okay, fair enough. And then if you decide to run more than 72 PSI at home, please don't sue Bastion. All right, Bastion, we are going to move on a bit from tire compatibility and all those other questions that we've been talking about so far. I want to move on to tire repair, uh, because we do also often have a lot of questions regarding Tubeless road tire repair is how you deal with flats on the road, that sort of thing. Um, this question comes from David Savage. How does casing thickness and or tread design impact the ability of a tire to seal or the ability of a plug to be effective? So this is, um, you know, this is something that I don't think uh, we're, we're the best suited, you know, uh, to answer this, right? Like uh, Zip, we're mostly a rim manufacturer, and uh, I think uh, a tire specialist in this case would be uh, would be a lot better, um, in a much better position to answer this. Uh, I, we don't really have data to, to answer this question, whether if, you know, the, the thickness of the casing would, would help. Definitely, our good feel is that uh, a more robust casing and, and a thicker thread would uh, would provide a little more surface area to uh, to help the sealant to coagulate and to help in the in the sealing. But obviously, all of those things come at the expense of weight, and and uh, because there's no motor, there's no engine on a bicycle, and like cars and motorcycle that can afford much thicker uh, casing, um, this is not uh, this is not something we can do. Uh, I do feel though that there are some really good solutions today, you know, to uh, to repair um, holes on uh, on tubeless. I guess the first thing to say is uh, punctures have become a lot less frequent. I mean, everybody's experience is a little different, right? Depending on where you ride, the kind of roads, and so on and so forth. Uh, I think in my experience, uh, personally, like. Uh, Flats have become a lot less frequent uh, ever since I switched to, to tubeless, that's for sure. But uh, yeah, I would agree that there's this big um, scary thing about getting a flat on tubeless. Am I going to be able to repair? What do I do in this case? And I think there's some easy solutions, but we just need to, to let them out and educate people about what those are. Okay, fair enough. Uh, next question comes from James Dunn. Uh, given the low pressures of cyclocross, gravel, mountain bike, etc., uh, tubeless there seems sensible since when there is a puncture, there's not a huge amount of pressure and there's sort of just like a little dribble of fluid comes out usually. However, with the higher pressures of road, we oftentimes instead get like a gush of tubeless fluid out and a lot more fluid and a lot more air leaks out before it seals. Do we need a different fluid viscosity or something to make road tubeless more viable in terms of the self-sealing aspect? You know, I in think other James, words, when is Zip going to come out with its own road road tube specific sealant? <laughs> I was going to say James might have uh, given us like a really good idea on this one. So um, again, this is not something we're specialists of, right? Like uh, this this is a really good question for more chemical engineers rather than composite or mechanical engineers. 
but I think that suggestion uh, makes a lot of sense. That's a, that's a good thought. Maybe a sealant with a little higher viscosity uh, would actually make a, do a better job at sealing uh, bigger holes and, and withstanding the pressure of, uh, of, uh, of road tires. The one thing I want to share, though, is uh, the world of chemicals is, is, is fascinating. And with some partners and, and people we've been working with, you know, we've, we've come to learn of um, airplane windows and how airplane windows are loaded with a sealant that are capable of plugging the whole window if the window was going to blow off, you know, when the plane is in the air. So I'm actually pretty. Uh, I, I'm actually pretty hopeful that if there are material in the world that can do that for a plane, then maybe there's stuff that can uh, that can be found uh, that will work on a bicycle tire eventually, even though the pressure is higher than the hmm. mountain bike. I don't know. In my in my head, I'm just thinking like, wow, it'd be really hard to see through a plane window that's full of like stand sealant. <laughs> <laughs> Why is my window so milky looking? All right, so I guess the answer to that question is probably, but not yet. All right, well, as far as tire repair goes in general, let's say you are out on the road, you get a flat, a plug doesn't work, the sealant doesn't work, you have to put a tube in. Uh, this is a question that I have. It, since, uh, I guess, specific to Zip, certainly, you specify that your hookless, um, your hookless road wheels are tubeless compatible only. Mm -hmm. But... If you're out on the road and that tire gets destroyed and you have to put a tube in, is that okay? 100% okay. Then why and is it tubeless only? Why? What's oh, the deal there? Tubeless tire only. Tubeless tire only. Ah, And okay. something that uh -huh. is really That's clear in question. our documentation is that even if, even if you, you don't want to run tubeless, uh, you can absolutely run a tube in a tubeless tire. So the thing that's critical to retain the tire is, as we have we said, you know, like the uh, the tubeless bead of the tire. So if you have the stiff bead of a tubeless tire, nothing prevents you from putting a tube in it. So even if, if you don't want to deal with the sealant or the tubeless, which I personally don't advise because I'm very passionately in the other team than team tube inside. I'm not team tube inside, I'm the other guys. We'll get you a t-shirt. Thank you. I would really appreciate that. There's, 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 I mean, we can, we can get into the benefits of running tubeless and there's a lot of data that, that really clearly establish how tubeless is so much faster than uh, not only clincher, but also tubular. Uh, but really the point is, if you don't want to deal with sealants, if you don't want to deal with all of that on the road, it is absolutely possi possible to run a tube inside a tubeless tire on a zip wheel. Okay. Well, that answers that. Bastian, I've, I've got a question that follows on from that, which is, say you've got a consumer and they're saying they don't ever really flat with tubes with a normal clincher tire. Yeah. They don't really care about the speed difference, rolling resistance, and they don't want to deal with the faff of tubeless. What would you say to try sell them on tubeless? Um, I th I think you know just like a, just like the rim and hookless earlier, uh, there's there's so much that tubeless encompasses. Uh, we've really taken an approach, you know, to sell tubeless on performance because that's what we are, right? Like a uh, zip, we make products to 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 make people faster, make cyclists faster, and uh, and we've got a mounting amount of um, evidence, mounting amount of evidence. Hmm. 
uh, that really shows, you know, uh, that Toolbus is faster. But for someone who doesn't care about it, uh, there's definitely all of the comfort aspect, all of the traction aspect that brings confidence. Because if you run tubeless and if you have a wide rim, then we're suggesting to run much lower pressure, which is going to increase your contact patch. You're going to have much uh, more grip, which is definitely going to play uh, a, a big role when you're riding, you know, like on slippery surfaces or when it's, uh, when it's rainy. Uh, so it's going to be more comfortable. You're going to have less pain in your body. You're going to have more confidence on your bike. You're going to be able to brake faster without sliding your bike. Uh, there's a ton of advantages uh, that I think can be also explained to people who are not looking for performance increase. So, Zach, given all that, are you still team tube inside? I mean, all of my road bikes have tubes and I don't get flats. So. You're going to have to work a little harder, Bastion, on this one yeah. at least anyway. <laughs> <laughs> at some point, you know, like uh, I'm really hoping at some point I can take a trip up there and then we go for a ride and we do back-to-back testing and then we can uh, we can see. Yeah. Perfect. Well, all we have to do, I think, is you just have to come up from Colorado Springs, bring a, one or two sets of zip wheels with you that, have, yeah. that don't have tubes in them and sneak into Zach's shop and just oh. take the wheels off his bike and replace them well, and then he won't even have, won't even have the option. Yeah. You do have a lot of wheels in here, though, that you can oh, put on. I also, yeah, my primary road bike has rim brakes, so. Mm, that's a problem. <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't have, have a... Caveman. Yeah. Caveman I have a disc bike, too. But, yeah. yeah, I don't have a bike with, uh, with rim brakes anymore, so... So that's, yeah. uh, that's really the thing. But uh, I always come back to this example, you know, where I did a blind test with a friend of mine who's a, a triathlete. And we went in a Garden of the Gods here in Colorado Springs. And just after they redid the whole road. So it was beautiful, beautiful pavements, super smooth asphalt, you know, beautiful loop around Garden of the Gods. It's uh, it was a glorious Colorado morning. And uh, and the guy was uh, telling me, you know, I can feel the difference between tube and tubeless and, and lower pressure. And I feel I'm pretty um, advanced because I'm only running 95 PSI in my uh, tubeless wheels. So it's uh, compared to all of the other guys I'm racing with that are still 115. But I've tried. And if I go lower than 90 PSI, it feels like I'm pedaling through a sand pit. And so I made him do like a blind test, you know, like run different wheels, never told him what pressure he was running, never told him what was inside a tube, a tubeless or, or not. And uh, and yeah, like sure enough, he came back, you know, saying that the, the 303 tubeless uh, at 60 PSI were the fastest, smoothest, most comfortable and, uh, and, and nice to ride wheels that, that he's had. But when I told him, dude, those were tubeless and you were running 60 PSI, is just his eyes, you know, starting to grow like this. And he was completely uh, blown away. I mean, I normally run like 65 in my tubes. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. But, you know, you know, that's not the case, you know, like uh, and in general, there's so many people on bikes right now. Everyone puts too much air in their tires. For sure. And that's a big part of the education that we are trying to do is, no, no, you need to lower your pressure because uh, typically what you're running is too high. Yeah. I mean, even like, I mean, deal with this, uh, Ruth who races on, yeah, like the mechanics for whether it's national team or uh, trade team or whatever, like they pump the tires up to like 110 PSI and it's like, it's professional women cycling and they're all very small humans. Like yeah, they yeah. should be running like 70 at the like at the most and they won't 
won't put that low, that low of air pressure in the tires. Yeah, which well, is always even, funny. Even more to that case, you see them the mechanics prepare the whole uh, the team's worth of bikes in the morning, and every tire yeah. gets the same pressure, even though yep. the riders have a ten to fifteen kilo usually, difference across them. Usually, they get a message like the night before. Like, well, it depends on the race, but like, let's say it's a classic or something where there's cobbles. Like, what pressure do you want in the tires? And Ruth will say, I want, so she'll ask me like, what pressure should I run? And I'll tell her. And then the mechanic will come back and be like, no, that's, that's too high. <laughs> <laughs> that's too low. We can't, we can't put that low. Like you're going to go slow or get a flat. So it's, and, and it's that's really funny. the thing. I think that's uh, hopefully it's changing, but you got to realize, right. It, it's, it's so hard to change um, habits that are also deeply ingrained. I mean, from, from, the good old days like in the 50s 60s 70s like inflating tubular tires 120 130 psi like even uh, even uh, even my time i remember like uh, people telling me from um, uh, the service course at mavic uh, that you had to run you know like uh, 11 12 bar into your tires at like a like a 19 or 20 something because the hard 11 tire or is 12 a fast bar tire. oh my god yeah. no but i mean and i'm showing my age now like uh, this is 20 years ago right yeah, I mean, I remember when people were like, I tried 100 PSI and it felt so good. And yeah. now that's like crazy high. But see, that's also the same thing on a mountain bike, because sometimes on a mountain bike, when you see something shaking and old, it feels fast because you're like on the edge, you're out of control. Oh, I was so fast. And yeah. that's the same thing on the road. When you have a hard inflated tire, you feel every asperity in the in the in the pavement and you're seeing all of this like you get a feeling of being fast. And that's why it's really hard. It's going to be hard to change that mentality because when you have bigger tires, lower pressure, now all of a sudden it feels plush and comfortable and therefore it feels slower. But then when you look at your times, you know, at the power uh, output and you look at your times and it's actually slower, it's actually a lot faster. So that's that's that that change of mentality that we have to uh, that we have to do. And. I mean, even on Monday this week, we've been doing a test with some pro racers and the results were astounding in terms of how much uh, power was being saved. Um, so, uh, and that's something we're going to be able to share pretty soon, but it's, um, it's, it's just more and more evidence uh, showing that the old thinking of narrow tire, high pressure is faster, showing that that thinking is not true, bigger tires especially when coupled with a wide rim that has large supports on the uh, on the tire casing. If you had a wide rim, you can really reduce your pressure without having any of the squirm effects. And that's, you know, uh, is gonna increase your rolling resistance, your uh, vibration damping. You're gonna be fast, you're not gonna feel it. It's gonna be all the more enjoyable uh, all around. Hmm. All right, Bastion, I feel like we've talked about an awful lot of things here. And uh, just one quick comment. I think it's funny that you mentioned that a lot of people have said to you that when they have their tires run too high on their mountain bike that they feel faster. To me, that usually so just scary. feels really sketchy. Yeah. I know, I know. So which is, I, would, I would use the analogy of a 650B bike feels faster because you're more on the edge than a 29er, but the yeah. 29er is faster. I agree. But Can, maybe let's just so say- like High pressure does not feel fast. It feels terrifying. Yeah, let, let, maybe let's just say instead of it feeling faster, let's just say it feels more exciting. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and that's yeah. that's exactly what happens. Uh, I suppose maybe not when you ride a bike, but when you watch bike, bike racers, right? So you're going to see like two guys, one of them on a downhill course, one of them is going to come at the ragged edge and he's going to be all over the course and you're going to be, oh my God, he's so fast. And then one of them is going to be very calm and 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 uh, and comfortable and controlled on his bike, and it doesn't look fast. But then the quiet, peaceful guy is the fastest at the end of the race. 
smooth is fast, right? Exactly. All right, let's wrap up here. Uh, Bastion, I have one last question that I'd like to ask you, and you're going to have to crack out your crystal ball here. At what point are we all not going to be talking about all these issues at all? When is that going to happen? What year? What decade? What, when is this going to be an issue? When, when is it going to be the situation where we don't have to ask you these questions anymore and you stop yelling at us? <laughs> when, can, when can we be friends again? <laughs> We're always friends. <laughs> you know, I, I'm going to go and be uh, really optimistic in this case. I want to be optimistic and I, I really hope... Uh, that within the year 2022, 23 at most, I think all of this is going to be behind us. And the reason I want to be optimistic here is because I really think this is in everybody's interest to align to the standards and really uh, get rid of that confusion that we've all complained because uh, nobody benefits from the confusion. So I really want to make a call, you know, to all of my fellow rim manufacturers and, and tire suppliers in the industry uh, to make a conscious effort to come and adhere to the standard because that's just the best thing we can do as an industry uh, to, to create the clarity that the market needs. Now, there's always going to be, you know, just like uh, you pointed out, there's always going to be those guys who want to be different and who want to claim they're better. And, and, and then the burden is going to be on them to prove how their system is better. Cut but it I out. Think at this point, Cut it out. Yeah. I think at this point, uh, it is really like in everybody's interest to, to come and align on this as soon as possible. And even before the end of this calendar year, you're going to see some big announcements uh, that I think is going to uh, are going to uh, create a lot more clarity in terms of compatibility and everything. All right. Well, fingers crossed. We'll see what happens. Bastion, thank you so much for being on this show with us today. Uh, hopefully that created some or hopefully that uh, made things a little bit more clear for you, for everyone listening to this show today. Uh, if you have any more questions, please feel free to Leave them in the comment section below if you happen to be coming at this podcast from the cyclingtips.com page. Uh, if you have any questions also, you can feel free to just send us an, an email. Uh, you can send Kelly an email directly, editor at cyclingtips.com, and he'll pass those along. Um, but anyway, if you liked what you heard today, please make sure you subscribe to the podcast using whatever service you get your podcasts from. Make sure you tell your friends about Nerd Alert. We really appreciate it if we can, if we can uh, get some more listeners and get some more people hearing our show. And in the meantime, thanks again, Bastion. Thanks, Zach. Thanks, Dave. We'll see all of you in another week. Thank you, everyone. Thanks a lot. Thanks.